Hello, and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Maisha Kai, managing editor of The Glow Up, flying solo for the very first time today. We love and miss my former co-host and editor-in-chief, Danielle Belton, but we soldier on. Today, we have a true American hero on the show. That's right, we have the one, the only, Stacey Abrams. While most people know Stacey best for the incredible feat of turning Georgia blue, or at least purple, and helping to save the 2020 election, Stacey also happens to moonlight as a New York Times bestselling author. She's written eight romance novels under the pen name Selena Montgomery, which we'll get into in today's interview, as well as two nonfiction books under her own name. Now, Stacy is publishing her first novel under her real name, the political thriller While Justice Sleeps. We also have to mention that just hours after we spoke with Stacy last week, we learned that she'd been nominated for a Peabody for her documentary, All In, The Fight for Democracy. We've also just learned that While Justice Sleeps has been optioned for TV by working title television. So suffice to say, Stacy has a lot going on in addition to fighting for voters' rights and saving American democracy. But we had a great time talking with her about her writing process and how she got into writing in the first place. So without further ado, let's get into it. Stacy, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'm absolutely overwhelmed to have you here. <laughs> you know, we've been lucky to have some incredible people on the podcast so far, but we have never had one who has literally given our democracy a chance at a fair fight. So first of all, thank you for that. But for once, we're not here to talk about politics. <laughs> <At least. laughs> you mean not there, the usual there, sense. there's something else? There are other things we want to talk to you about, like this book. Yeah. <laughs> like, while Justice Sleeps. But before we do that, It's Lit is a podcast about Black writers and books Etc. And we begin each episode with a little icebreaker, asking our guests to name at least one book that was revelatory or game-changing for them. Was there a book or books for you that just changed the game? I would say that it wasn't one book. I had the incredible privilege of growing up as the daughter of a librarian. And the daycare I went to was on my mom's college campus. And so when daycare would shut down, I literally would take naps in the stacks. I grew up surrounded by Aww. books. And so for me, I would say it's just always been about the access and the extraordinary opportunity to enter just so many different worlds. Well, you know, it's interesting because your latest novel, While Justice Sleeps, you know, it, it makes sense to me that you you grew up pretty much in a library. I grew up in a newsroom, so we see how that works out, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, you know, this is a thriller. This is a twisty, turny political thriller. And you've got like legal drama and political machinations and international intrigue and biotech, you know, <laughs> and it makes sense that you grew up in a library where you had access to all these like kind of narratives to uh, weave together. It also feels really on brand, considering the fact that in addition to being a firebrand in politics, you are an award-winning author of eight romantic suspense novels penned under a nom de plume, Selena Montgomery. Uh, in addition to your politically focused nonfiction, Our Time is Now and Lead from the Outside. Uh, but a lot of people just learned that you were a fiction writer within the last year or two. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you began this book, I believe, over a decade ago. What inspired you toward this particular plot? Teresa Wynne Roseboro, who is paid homage to twice in the book, both Howard Wynne, Our Swing Justice, and Teresa Roseboro, the Chief Justice, 
uh, Teresa was the one of the lead partners at the law firm I interned with and then ended up working for for the first three years I was in the legal field. She and I stayed very close after I left the law firm, and she was always such a strong supporter of my writing. We were having lunch in 2008, and she said, I was thinking about something, Stacey. Have you ever thought about the fact that Article 3 of the Constitution does not provide any provision for the incapacity of a Supreme Court justice? Federal judges get a lifetime appointment, but there's nothing that addresses what happens if they simply can't do their jobs. They can be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors, and they can be removed for death, but anything in between, they're fine. And I started thinking, well, you know, Article 1 is the provision that governs Congress. You can just vote people out if you don't, if they can't do their jobs. The 25th Amendment takes care of the presidency, but this is like glaring oversight. And it occurred to me that, of course, you know, at the inception of the Constitution, we didn't have people who could linger in a persistent vegetative state for 20 years, but that is very much the possibility today. And when she said that to me, when we talked about it, it just captured my imagination. I went home that night, wrote the first scene with Howard Wynn, and that's been the first scene. You know, I've tweaked it a little bit, but it's been the first scene from the moment I thought of the book. Um, well, first of all, shout out to coming home and writing a scene just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people... And I'm talking about me. Some people take years to just write that one scene. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> but this is obviously a deeply researched yes. book as well. I mean, you know, again, you are crossing a lot of genres and then, and the way it all comes together. I really enjoyed this book. I feel Thank like you. I, I want to say that up front. I enjoyed this book. It was really fun. It was a really easy read. And it's not a short read, but it's an easy read. Thank <laughs> you. Because you're intrigued, you know. And I know that, uh, and I love this because I was reading your acknowledgments after. I know that your family yes. had a big part in making this book possible. Um, you have five dynamic siblings, all of yes. whom it sounds like helped with <laughs> yes. this. And as you noted, you also got your love of storytelling from both of your parents. Correct. And I think we often romanticize writing as this like deeply solitary activity, you know, when it, kind of really does take like a village to bring something like this to fruition. How did that kind of, can you like elaborate on how that collaborative aspect worked for you? When I create an idea, I am very methodical about doing a storyboard, a synopsis, writing character profiles, and then I actually lay out each chapter. But once I know what I want to talk about before I start writing in earnest, I do as much research as I can about the pieces I want to describe and discuss. So I do my initial sort of self-research, immerse myself in the topics I need to know about, and then I start writing. And what's so extraordinary about my siblings is that, you know, a lot of people go to Google. I just, <laughs> <laughs> when I had a question about haplogroups and identity, I called my older sister the anthropologist to talk about what it would mean to, to have this conversation and how I needed to think about it. When I was writing about just sort of the nuances of the Supreme Court and of a clerkship, I called my sister Leslie, the federal judge, to say, Leslie, would this happen? Would this conversation happen? And she would often correct me. Uh, when I <laughs> needed to do this, ex you know, I was doing these scenes and I, I had these uh, you know, tense moments. I would call my brothers. I'm like, okay, does this make sense to you? Would this happen? And when I needed to do the you know, create a biogenetic scare, I called my little sister. I'm like, hey, Janine, who is an evolutionary biologist, uh, and said, you know, Jay, I, I, how long would the incubation period be for this kind of you know, fever? 
<laughs> she would help me. And Richard, you know, I'm doing this thing. What do you think about that? Walter, what do you think about this? And so each of them would were on call. And then when I finished the book the first time through, it was my brothers who really did the the deep reading. They are the most, uh, they're the biggest aficionados of thrillers. And so I handed it to them and I said, okay, read through it. And they separately, you know, did that, those edits that you would rely on, you know, a, an editor for, a publisher for. And I got, you know, free service from my brothers. Um, well, again, shout out to your parents. <laughs> because, I mean, just this incredible crew yes. <laughs> that they raised. <laughs> like, the talent, I'm just, I was sitting there in awe, like my jaws open, like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Um, you know, but let's, I want to double back to, uh, your, your previous life <laughs> as a writer to Selena Montgomery. Uh, so this is a nom de plume you created when you published your first novel. You were still at Yale Law. So wow. And you never really kept her a secret. I mean, this is an, I, I don't know, an alter ego of sorts, but you never really kept her a secret. But why did you create her and what attracted you to romance as a genre? I initially wanted to write a spy novel. The, the ah. premise was, a chemical physicist. She was black, and it, mm -hmm. the story was based on my ex boyfriend's dissertation. He's a chemical physicist. I, you know, I'm one of like the people out, the few people outside of his field that read it because it was fascinating, and I, you know, I wanted to learn more about what he was studying. And he was working on this thing called microzeolite technology. I decided it could be used for this chemical weapon, and it would be this fascinating conversation about environmental justice, and you know. And, and weaponry and, you know, intrigue. And he said, can't do any of those things. I'm like, this is why we broke up. You're not imaginative enough. And <laughs> I started writing it. And I had some friends in law school who'd been in publishing before they came to law school. And I told them what I was doing. And to a person, they said, no publisher is going to buy a spy novel by or about a woman. Uh, there just were no women in the espionage field back in the late 90s. And then one of them said, and let's just be honest, they're not going to buy one buyer about a black woman. And so I thought, huh, okay, well, I know I've read spy novels. I know I've read spy novels with women in them. And then I realized, no, I've read romance novels with women spies. And I loved General Hospital with Luke and Laura and yes. you know, Robert and Anna. <laughs> and I love James Bond. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, I if I couldn't, take my work to the espionage field. I would bring it to the field I loved so much. I love romance novels. And so I just, I killed the same number of people I planned to kill, told the exact same story. I just made my spies <laughs> fall in love. Um, I love that whole thing. I love your reference points too, because, you know, you and I are of the same generation. So I was like, yes, look at Laura. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I was raised on Bond by my dad. So I, I get it. You know, and it, it's so interesting to hear how people underestimated these characters because you have sold over 100,000 <laughs> of these novels. And it is worth <laughs> noting that hours before this actual interview, it was announced that three of those novels, uh, Rules of Engagement, The Art of Desire, and Power of Persuasion, are going to be reissued by Penguin Random House and Pritt Berkeley next year. So congrats on that. Um, Thank you very much. What do you think people, uh, well, first of all, you know, I've heard that you've dressed up as Selena Montgomery on occasion. So I'm curious to know what this woman looks like. <laughs> and Oh, what do you I, think people <laughs> underestimated about romance as a genre? <laughs> so so the comment about dressing up like Selena Montgomery was very tongue-in-cheek. I meant I dress up as myself. Uh, <laughs> I so, so that, that I, I think it has been 
uh, taken out of context or certainly out of okay. sarcastic context. I've never hidden that I'm Selena Montgomery. My face is in the books. The copyright is in my name. I called all of my friends and said, I'm publishing these books. Please help me. So for me, it's always been about brand. That at the same time I was writing romance and romantic suspense, I was also growing as a policy wonk, someone who focused on tax policy and was writing fairly aggressively in the more political social policy space. And I just wanted the two identities to be separate. And honestly, it was less about hiding that I was writing romance and more about the fact that I doubted anyone would want to read romance novels written by a tax attorney. And so <laughs> that that was the only that was the only difference. And I think I love romance. It you asked me earlier about my favorite books and romance has always been this through line in literature that mm -hmm. links together communities and cultures and story worlds. And I've never understood the you know, revulsion that it sometimes brings up or the, the disdain because some of the greatest novels in our, you know, in the pantheon are romance. And, if, and that's true across cultures. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You know, you do something interesting here that I think relates back to exactly what you were saying about Black heroines. Uh, and you position this Black heroine, Avery Keene, in this predominantly white male world that I think, you know, obviously reflects both your own standing in politics and in political fiction, to be honest, because <laughs> it's a very white male-dominated field, both of them. Um, but I couldn't help but think about how it really reflects how, no like, you know, in both your use of language and in the way that you juxtapose this character, how it really reflects how no one knows the ruling class better than the marginalized. Was that a deliberate thing that you were doing and playing with that, that dynamic? I think it's internalized as part mm. of storytelling that you always come from your own experiences, even if you're writing about something that's new and different and far removed from who or what you are. The marginalized have to navigate these spaces and the fundamental story is one of having responsibility, but not having real authority or power. Yes, she has mm -hmm. this man's life in her hands, but everything she wants to do requires someone else's permission or fighting to hold that power. And I think that is indeed the life of the marginalized. It's always about how do we, how do we gain access, gain purchase, and then how do we hold on? But more importantly, how do we make choices knowing that our choices are subject to so many other people's, you know, whims. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as noted, this is a project that began over a decade ago. And I think I also read that when you started it, people were like, well, this would never happen, right? Like, oh, yes. not, like nobody's going to, you know, <laughs> play with the Supreme Court like that. <laughs> but given everything that you've seen behind the political curtain in the last 12 or 13 years since you began this project, would you say that the truth might actually be stranger than fiction? I think the truth often gives fiction a run for its money. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, there's a part in the book that relies on someone reading these dusty reports that get stacked up in bureaucracies. I was that person. I was an intern who had to read those reports. And I am not claiming that I saw anything in those reports that would, you know, e equal what Avery and uh, Betty discover. But I would say that everything I write about comes from a place of possible, re you know, it's from reality. I may mm -hmm. ex exaggerate it a bit, but one of the reasons I do so, so much research is that I want things to feel incredibly plausible. They may seem beyond the pale, which is what I faced when I was trying to sell the book the first time, you know, the United States involved in international intrigue that might put American lives at risk. Who would ever do such a thing? <laughs> but but the, it's funny because it's yeah true. exactly <laughs> um you know and i i have to give you major credit because i think you know you speak so frankly as a politician you f speak equally frankly as a writer and i love that you don't mince words about what america is what it could be <laughs> you know it's promise it's failed promises so yeah i really appreciated that but you know while this book is called while justice sleeps i'm and i'm sure i'm not the first person to ask this when does stacy abrams sleep <laughs> you know i mean i've read you know you you say that you get writing in where it fits in and as somebody who struggles to do that myself i don't know if it's cuz i write all day or what but i wanted to hear more about how you actually do fit it in? Because uh, I can't imagine many writers being as busy as you are. Like, how do you make the time? How do you slot that in? Because I am a methodical writer, before I get ready to put words to paper, I will usually have the initial scene done because it gives me a sense of the characters and the voice I want to use. I then do a lot of prep work. Because once mm -hmm. I get to sit down and start writing, I know I only have a limited amount of time to do so. Right now with my calendar, it's working with my team to say, okay, I need this number of days to write. I'm also a very disciplined writer when I write. So I will sit down in, in a day. If I get a day to write, I will get 2,500 to 3,000 words done. And they will be in pretty solid shape by the time I'm finished. So that while I will go back and edit, I'm not, I don't have the sort of stop start. And that means that for a book of this length, you know, you're talking 45, 50 days to actually write it. So it's just making sure over time I carve out those number of days and the hours I need and that I just get it done. <laughs> so basically this is about being as brilliant as you are everywhere else and being disciplined on top well, of it. <laughs> That's I, what I'm hearing from I, you. <laughs> I, I will say this. When I was writing romance, I used to teach, you know, when friends would ask me this question, I'm like, look, they either want the book or they want their money back. The money's gone. Mm. So they're going to get a book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that very much. Well, speaking of books, you know, I could not help but notice in those acknowledgments that you referred to this as Avery's debut. Uh, is, is that some hint that we're going to have more keen thrillers coming? I, I would hope so. I think that she is 
a fascinating character. And while I love the story I get to tell with her, I think she's got more stories to tell. And I am hopeful that we'll get to revisit them. Got a few other demands on my time, but I, 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 love I, it. I think I can get it done. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, I love this as, as a, I, I think I love this as your other narrative, to be honest. You know, I think uh, it's fascinating to me. I, I think it's totally a, a testament to, I, I guess, the limitlessness of our capacity. So again, thank you so much for this offering, as well as all the other offerings that you make, and for supporting The Root the way that you have. You've appeared on here before, and we hope it's not the last time, but especially for christening, you know, for for giving us a thrill here <laughs> on its lit, because it's seriously thrilling for me. Well, I, it, is a, it is an honor and a delight, I will say this. While Just to Sleeps is my first legal political thriller, but what I really wanted to do, and I try this in all of my fiction, is to tell stories that universalize adventure, whether mm -hmm. it's romantic suspense or these thrillers. I wanted desperately when I was growing up to read stories where I was expected to be the heroine. I was expected to be the main character. And that rarely, if ever, happened. And for me, this is a real opportunity to tell the stories I wish I could have read but also to create space for others to imagine that they can tell these stories too. And if I can get that done, then I've done my job. Well, it, for whatever it's worth, I think there's a lot of people who consider you a heroine. Well, so you. there you go. <laughs> thank you. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. And you might have noticed that we have a new theme song, which was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, you know, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. What I'm currently reading right now is She Memes Well by Quinta Brunson. Now, you may know Quinta from her long stint on BuzzFeed, you know, where she did any number of viral videos and became quite a few well-known memes. But she's also a writer, a stand-up comedian, a performer, and a former dancer, as it turns out, from this memoir. And she's going to be visiting us soon on It's Lit. And frankly, I can't wait to chat with her because she is hilarious. But in the meantime, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep it lit. <laughs>